A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. The Human Zoo, where they don't hide away the sick animals. Dangerous mid-morning debate with the great dictator. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Stand to attention when I'm talking to you! On Talk Radio. Dismiss! Good morning and welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. We have reached the end of yet another tumultuous week. Boris Johnson, it would appear, is edging ever closer to becoming the next Prime Minister, the fifth Prime Minister of this country in this century, by the way, uh, and possibly uh, the greatest. You never know. Uh, He's up against Tony Blair, he's up against Gordon Brown, he's up against David Cameron, and he's up against Theresa May. Now that, I would have to say, is a Prime Ministerial opportunity. Now Boris Johnson, of course, uh, will tell you that he was destined to become the leader of this great nation of ours that he went to school and he was made Prime Minister when he was about the age of 11. Now, some people don't like Boris Johnson. Some people think he's a bit of a bully. Some people think he's a bit of a misogynist. Some people think uh, that he's a bit of a racist. Lots of people don't really know Boris Johnson. They just know what his image is. I think he's a lot cleverer than we give him credit for and I think he's a lot less spontaneous than we suspect that he is as well. Coming up in this hour, we're going to talk to Ross Kempsell, our political editor, who's going to look forward to Boris's big week coming up because only yesterday uh, the parliamentarians once again tried to stymie the will of the people. They've tried to make it more difficult for Boris to have a no-deal Brexit. Whether they succeed in that is another matter, but what we do know is that more than likely, on 11 o'clock on on Tuesday morning, on this very show, we should be able to declare who the next Prime Minister is. And I'd be astonished if it is not Boris Johnson. 0344 499 1000. We've got loads more of your calls to take on lawless Britain, wild west Britain, why it's possible for these kids to drive up and down at high speed on the streets of our country without fear or favour or without worrying about getting arrested by the police. It seems absolutely extraordinary. Coming up later on, of course, uh, it is Friday, so we will be uh, doing the Perrier Awards, but uh, not in the normal way. I'm looking forward to it greatly. I'm sure it's going to be very different, slightly different style for you, uh, and we'll tell you all about that coming up. 03444991000. You'll listen to me, Mike Graham, right here on Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. So, um... Quite an interesting time, isn't it, in the public uh, world of politics? We've got uh, three, count them, at the very least, current cabinet ministers supposedly uh, writing their letters of resignation. We are going to be preparing for you. Oh, there we go. I was about to say, we're going to be preparing for you the, uh, the, the alarm that goes off whenever anybody resigns. That's the resignation klaxon. Uh, I can tell you that nobody's actually resigned yet. That is, in fact, a test. I'm hoping uh, that's the case. Anyway, because I don't think Ross Kempsell's planning to resign anytime soon. Ross, a very good morning to you. 
Good morning, Mike. Now, we, we're going to be oiling up the uh, the resignation claxings. I think it's going to be in uh, heavy usage over the course of the next few days of the early part of next week. Um, after what happened yesterday in Parliament, which I suppose wasn't an incredible surprise, it's going to be slightly trickier for Boris next week, isn't it? Oh, next week is just going to be blockbuster. I can hardly contain my excitement <laughs> as we go into the weekend. Yes. And the reason for that is that pretty much 24-7 next week, it will be full-on, absolute constitutional-level political drama. And the reason for that is that we expect Boris Johnson, who, as you said, has wanted to be Prime Minister since he was a young man, is going to emerge finally after decades and decades of manoeuvring Imagine, imagine everything we know about Boris Johnson, his time as Mayor of London, his time in Parliament. All of that familiarity is suddenly going to be thrust into the most difficult job in British politics. And I think the big question really is, why is Boris Johnson about to start a job which pretty much embodies everything that he hates? It's pretty much the opposite of his character and personality. As a prime minister, you have to be quite restricted. You have to be decisive. You have to be tough. You have to go into endless difficult decisions and negotiations. I'm not saying Boris Johnson can't do that or isn't prepared for that, but it's not exactly a job which is imbued with levity and jokes. It's a 24-7 high-wire act, and it's going to be even more critical going into October. So it's just going to be extraordinary. And, and I think it really will be like having a completely different type of prime minister, not just having a new prime minister. I think if Boris Johnson really does become prime minister next week, we can't rule out an incredible upset. And what a story that would be if Jeremy Hunt turned out to do better than everybody expected. But if Boris Johnson walks into number 10 on Wednesday, the whole of the office of prime minister is changing, not just the actual person who holds mm. it. And interesting that you make that comparison between what he's always wanted and, and, and the, the, the fact that sometimes when you get what you want, uh, you realise actually you didn't really want it in the first place. But I do wonder whether yeah. he's going to cross the threshold, as it were, uh, and stand in the hallway of Downing Street and go, I've done it. Uh, and then to sort of wonder what on earth he does next, because he has got a bit of a track record of being an administrator, and he was very much a successful mayor of London. Even those of his detractors would admit that he did a pretty good job uh, running the mayor's office, didn't he? Right, so there are two things you need to know about Boris Johnson, and I was having a, a chat with some people who've worked with him this morning. The first is that he likes to operate by having good people around him who make a lot of the day-to-day -day decisions. So much of City Hall was run by competent people who he appointed, like Sir Edward Lister, for example, who is going to be his chief of staff in Downing Street, okay. like Manira Mirza, who's going to be the head of policy in Downing Street. So he's bringing some of his successful City Hall team with him. Secondly, Boris Johnson is a complete loose cannon and will do things in his own way. So he, he, he will get a good team around him, and that will be a huge amount of the focus of next week is what he will try to do. But also, it's completely unpredictable. He could, he could really make politics very, very spontaneous. Yes, I think he could. And that will lead it to, to, to very interesting places for, for the likes of you and I. The question will be, what does he respond to Parliament with? Because he won't be happy, presumably, with what happened yesterday uh, when the Dominic Grieve-style amendment went through, which made it much more difficult for him to have a no-deal Brexit. You explained it to us very well um, just before the show ended yesterday that it was a kind of Northern Irish um, uh, sort of hidden agenda, which actually meant that the, the no-deal Brexit was going to be much more difficult. Is he currently planning to somehow get around that, do you think? This is a guy who, when he was asked what he wanted to do when he was a child, replied that he wanted to be world king. And I think walking <laughs> into Number 10 Downing Street on Wednesday, 
is that moment for Boris Johnson that he's wanted since he was six years old. Yeah. It is the chance where he thinks, in his mind, he's going to be world king. So I don't think he's going to find himself psychologically limited by what the House of Commons did yesterday. Now, whether he finds himself practically limited, I mean, that, that, that is a, a, an open question. But I understand that it looks like Nicky da Costa... Uh, who at the moment uh, is a kind of commentator on legislative matters. The former director of legislative affairs in number 10 is going back into number 10 next week to work with Boris Johnson, although that's not confirmed. If that's the case, she is one of the most competent parliamentary operators, one of the most sophisticated users of parliamentary procedure who understands it like no one else. So Boris Johnson, as I said, is getting people around him who may very well be able to help him negotiate some of these strictures which MPs are going to put on him but yes they're definitely going to try to do so they're definitely going to try to limit oh oh hang on there's another sound now this sound I haven't heard before I'm not sure what this is this I'm told uh, this is being prepared for next week this I'm told is the sound of somebody uh, actually quitting uh, sorry being fired uh, not the resignation klaxon. <laughs> this is the being fired klaxon. So if anybody if anybody gets fired before they quit that's the noise you're going to hear Okay. Right. Okay. So, well, I think we we know we need some different noises. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm not sure who's who's prepared this. So uh, you're most likely to hear the resignation klaxon. Yeah. From Philip Hammond, from David Gork, uh, from Rory Stewart. Remember who wanted to be prime minister? Oh yeah, I completely forgotten about Rory Stewart. I mean, he sort yeah, of he that, sort that of faded guy. away, isn't he? Well, he's now uh, Secretary of State for International Development. He won't be by next Wednesday. I can promise you that. Mm. The reason is he's he's writing his own resignation letter as we speak. So you're going to hear the resignation klaxon first. I suppose you might need to keep the firing klaxon up your up your sleeve. Yes. Uh, but if any cabinet ministers who who see the writing on the wall, yeah, they may very well be may very well get as far as being fired. But I, I, I understand that yesterday, Sir Mark said, well, the cabinet secretary wrote to permanent secretaries in all of the departments, telling them to prepare for a full reshuffle to be concluded by Wednesday evening. Mm. So that means a very quick reshuffle. That means not dragging it out into 48 hours, which is usually what happens into Thursday and Friday. So you could have the majority of the cabinet positions in place by Wednesday evening, which looks like there's going to be less firing to do. And what about the the resignations? Could they begin as early as Monday, do you think, or will they wait until he's announced as the the winner? Well, I'm wondering whether you you might get them in the Sunday newspapers, actually, um, if you were going to do something like this. I would have thought there's going to be a coordinated... Uh, pitch. Philip Hammond is rumoured to want to stay on until Monday, and that one of the reasons for that is that he's finishing some work in, in the Treasury itself. Of course, he's had a bit of a shot fired across the bow this morning of the Treasury by the Prime Minister insisting on this uh, ending the, the public sector pay freeze, which technically she did in 2017, but now promising a £20 billion public sector pay rise uh, where we will see police officers, teachers, etc., uh, get a pay rise which they haven't had since 2013. Uh, mm. But we don't know where that above. money's uh, coming from at this moment in time, do we? We're told it's not new money, and this is the kind of fiscal discipline that Philip Hammond has tried to uh, impose on the Treasury. Now, you know, it, it won't have been done without his connivance, but at the same time, a lot of his legacy is currently being ripped up. Well, I think what you're about to see is, is a, just a complete um, U-turn and shift around about who opposes who. So we're going to get a team of Brexiters, this oh, is a, sorry, there's another sound. What's this one? Oh. Oh, this is a shift around alarm. Okay, so now we have uh, a resignation <laughs> klaxon. Uh, we have a, oh. a firing klaxon. This one we might hear a lot, I suppose, because this will be people yeah. changing jobs, right? Correct. Excellent. Yes, exactly. That is another klaxon that you will need. <laughs> I'm losing track now of what they all sound like, but that one, 
that one is going to be very important. Yeah. Perfect, because you will have current cabinet ministers um, who will probably be swapped around into into other jobs and may survive the cuts. May, uh, it, it, Boris Johnson won't be bringing in an entirely new team. And this would be a good moment to reflect on whether he decides to try to create some kind of unity cabinet by sacking people and you know firing fewer people than expected. What if, for example, he tries to keep uh, a, a, a few of his critics in place just to keep them inside the tent yes. to try to demonstrate that he wants unity? Of course, the most obvious question would be, what is he going to do with Jeremy Hunt? Is he going to keep him as foreign secretary? I mean, after the, this campaign, after how uh, uh, nasty the campaign has been behind the scenes, difficult. But at the same time, if he fires Jeremy Hunt and completely expels him from the mm. cabinet, it, it does have the reverse effect of potentially looking quite weak. I think if he keeps Johnson. him in, he becomes kind of his creature, doesn't he? And of course, in the end, what, what, what we both witnessed at that uh, debate that was held here in the News UK building, they seem to have sort of buried the hatchet to some extent, didn't they? I think Mr Hunt was doing most of the burying because he realised that maybe the time was up uh, for, for holding on to a cabinet job. Now, whether he will remain foreign secretary, that is, of course, one of the major powers of patronage that Boris Johnson has to appoint the four great offices of state. So if next week you're looking at the prime minister, of course, we think will be Boris Johnson, but then you're looking at the home secretary, the foreign secretary and the chancellor. Mm. And who is going to be in the treasury is hugely important. Now, that job is rumoured to have been promised to both Sajid Javid, Liz Truss, Jacob Rees-Mogg and others. Who Boris Johnson makes Chancellor is absolutely critical. Mm. What will he do about a Deputy Prime Minister role? Will he have a formal Deputy Prime Minister? Will he go back to having an informal Deputy Prime Minister like David Lillington continue with that role? We're told that there will be perhaps a, a, a combining of several ministries together. But at the same time, Boris Johnson, if he tries to restructure the government it's left with the problem that he has an awful lot of people he needs to reward. He has a lot of people who've come on board to the campaign. At the moment, people's names like Gavin Williamson mm. and Ian Duncan Smith are doing the rounds to Deputy Prime Minister, if that's going to be a big role. Now, that could be very interesting indeed. I think what we're going to need to do now is just for our own purposes and to be prepared for next week, let's have a proper recap of the three sounds, the three klaxons that we're going to fire off, OK? So here, Absolutely. first of all, is the klaxon you will hear if anyone has resigned. All right, so we know that one, right? Now, the next one, which is slightly less familiar, <laughs> this is the klaxon for when somebody is fired. <laughs> it's more of an air raid siren kind of thing, right? <laughs> I haven't heard that one since Baghdad was under attack. Now, finally, uh, the, uh, the last sound that you will hear, the last klaxon is for somebody changing jobs within the cabinet. That one's a That's bit great. similar to the second one. I'm told there's a fourth sound. What's the fourth sound? What's that one? This is that's for Jeremy Corbyn getting sacked. Apparently, I don't think we'll be hearing that one. But but Corbyn is under a bit of pressure from the House of Lords, isn't he? No, he is. There could there could very well be a, a vote of no confidence for Jeremy Corbyn amongst Labour peers. Wow. Next week. Now, as if there's not enough going on. Yeah, really. I think look, and and this plays right back directly into, you know, the new Prime Minister, because Boris Johnson, it's thought, would quite like to keep Jeremy Corbyn in place. Lots of talk about an August, uh, uh, sorry, an autumn election. Mm. In fact, the, the real discussion in the Conservative Party this morning is who is going to run an election campaign. And if, and if that's the question at the moment, then that points towards some serious thinking being put into an autumn general election 
I think Boris Johnson would like more than anything else for Jeremy Corbyn to remain in place. He would relish the competition. A Boris Johnson, Jeremy Corbyn general election would be a, a blockbuster general election, unlike, unlike any other general election mm. in border British politics. And it, it's the election that Boris Johnson has kind of pitched his campaign on winning, if you like. Uh, the fact that he thinks he could beat Jeremy Corbyn. At the same time, Jeremy Corbyn under huge internal pressure in the Labour Party, but under pressure as well from his own allies on the left of the Labour Party, who know that if Mr Corbyn resigns and if he goes, uh, and there's no way that actually Labour peers can force him out, there's no technical way that he can actually be removed, but if he does go, then the whole left-wing project of the Labour Party is potentially going to collapse because there's no anointed left-wing successor. You could you could put money on Rebecca Long-Bailey, John McDonnell, but it's not entirely plausible how they may get through right. to actually become leader of the Labour Party. So if Jeremy Corbyn goes, then a lot of people around him, a lot of new MPs, uh, a lot of members of his team are going to be uh, really eradicated from, from Labour politics if Labour politics switches back to the centre. It would be a, a massive step change for the Labour Party from where it's gone to. Mm. It's been through a huge process of internal change uh, all, all of the main roles have now been taken by left-wingers. And if that is destroyed uh, by Jeremy Corbyn resigning, they're not going to be very happy about it. So no, they, they I'd be extremely happy place. about it, however, so that would be great. But what about, as if, as, if, as if that's not enough happening, we've also got the potential of a new Lib Dem leader, haven't we, on Monday as well? Yeah, absolutely. We will find out the results, uh, uh, whether Joe Swinson or Ed Davey become Lib Dem leader. Massive, uh, Massively important, actually, undercurrent, because... The Lib Dems are still doing extremely well in the polls. And just overnight, the Lib Dems in a council by-election, not very significant because it's only uh, a one seat on, on one council, but took a seat from the Tories uh, overnight. And, and, and these are the kind of low-level rumblings which, mm. are, which are carrying on and may characterise the next general election. So if you're Boris Johnson and looking at wanting to take the fight to Jeremy Corbyn, yes, that's all very well, but you'll also be taking the fight, don't forget, to the Brexit party, and to the revived, renewed Liberal Democrats with a new with a new leader. Absolutely right. It's fascinating stuff. Now, you'll be happy to know I've been handed a piece of paper on which these words are written. Talk Radio received more than 300% of its usual Monday evening listeners during the Sun Talk Radio debate, which aired at 7pm, and its post-debate coverage with political editor Ross Kempsell. So there you oh, go. Oh, well. So wow, now you're king you of go. the ratings as well. Wow. Well, I do have to play the We may have to get another klaxon for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, next week, honestly, just stay with us because 24-7 it's going to be blockbuster next week. It is. We'll bring you every single jot and tittle as soon as it happens. Reputation now for being first and fast. We will have the absolute uh, uh, finger on the breaking news all the way through next week. I don't think I'm going to be able to sleep all weekend. It's going to be great. I'm, I'm excited already. <laughs> It's going to be brilliant. Listen, I can't wait. Ross, thank you very much indeed. I hope the rain stops, though, because we are going to be in the tent of shame. Ross Kempsell, Talk Radio's political editor. What a star that man is. And how brilliantly are we covering this whole thing? I think you don't want to go anywhere else, do you? Uh, I can't tell you because I'm too busy bursting out laughing. Uh, who's currently doing a radio show on another station at the moment? 0344 499 1000 is the number. This is Talk Radio. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is 
is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. A mid-morning dance with the devil. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. On Talk Radio. Oh, three four 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 nine nine one thousand. Now it would be remiss of me not to mention uh, the story that I spotted earlier on today about the lovely uh, Meghan Markle and Prince Harry, uh, who apparently want to spend another twenty grand on some bushes. Uh, apparently, they don't like the garden that they've had reconstructed around Frogmore Cottage uh, at a cost to the taxpayer of around about two and a half million pounds, uh, and they may now be in breach of the planning applications at uh, Windsor because the Royal Borough of Windsor and Maidenhead show the Sussex have applied for part retrospective planning consent to the external landscaping works. Now, what that means is they've done something without permission. I bet they get away with it. But 20 grand on some shrubbery, really? For heaven's sake. Uh, now, Grant Harold is here. He's the royal butler. We're not going to talk to him about the royal family today, though. We are, however, going to talk to him about the etiquette of weddings because this is the wedding season. And for those of you who start going to weddings in your 20s and you start going to all your friends' weddings, sort of one after another, it starts to become quite a hectic thing. And so uh, who better to tell you how to behave than Mr Grant Harold? Grant, a very good morning to you. Good morning, sir. How are you? Very well indeed. Welcome uh, back to the show. Haven't spoken to you for a while. Um, yes. Now, uh, a big piece in the Times today that more and more mm. couples getting married are doing something mm. that I'm sure you would approve of, because I do. Um, don't take your phone into the uh, the church. Don't take your phone uh, into the service, wherever it may be, uh, and yes. just let the professionals get on with it. Yes. And th- this is, you know, I was at a wedding not that long ago and it did amaze me at how many mobile devices appeared. Yeah. Uh, not only mobile devices, also tablets. That's what the one that really? shocked me was suddenly, yeah, yeah, the tablets suddenly appeared as well. And I thought, okay, this is something somewhat different. Um, but, you know, it's, it's a difficult one because I'm aware that 21st century, we all use our devices, our mobile devices and all the rest of it. But there's occasions, now, as I said, at a wedding, it's it's that time when you're not really supposed to be bringing them out. Um, there's obviously official photographers there. So you, I know people want to get the odd little snap, but there's a time and place. And I think I'm not against anyone ever trying to take a picture, but it's just got to be at the right moment, yes. at the right time, and and not 
taking a phone call, for example, in the middle of the service. Which no, that that would that would definitely happen. no, that definitely wouldn't be good. <laughs> but there is a terrible problem at the moment. I mean, which which ranges from really really serious problems that we've got mm. in society to, to minor mm. ones. But the number of times now that say I get on the bus in the morning and people mm. are talking. Uh, with headphones in to uh, a microphone yeah. on their phone in quite yeah. a loud voice, sitting on... And I'm yeah. like, why are you doing that? I mean, I would mm. not do that. If somebody calls me and I'm on public transport, I say, Look, I'm on the train or on the bus, I'll call you back. I do well, not involve myself in a long, drawn-out and loud conversation. This is a really good point, mate, because I, I was having this conversation the other day. It's the same if you go into a shop. I was in a, a, a well-known shop recently, mm. and there was somebody in front of me on the headphones, uh, on the phone... And as they were being served, they carried on the conversation. And the poor lady serving was so always rude, trying to ask it? questions. It, it was really rude. And I felt really sorry for, for the, the lady. It was, it was a youngster who obviously had no idea of, of what they were doing. They obviously thought it, w it was fine. And it, and it, it really isn't because it's, it's, it's rude. It's not, res it's not respect to the other person. And I'm aware that sometimes you can go into a shop or premises and your phone goes... And it might be an important call. And if it is, I, I can say if, if it's really, really, really urgent, then obviously you can answer it. But just say, can I call you back in a few moments? Yes. Or if it's not urgent, let it go to answer. Or and, if you and can't, it, and if it is somebody you have to absolutely have to speak to, and there can't be yeah. too many people on that list, yeah. um, you, just leave, you just leave your shopping and you go outside and you take the call. Exactly, that's what happens when the Queen phones you, Mike. You do the exact same thing. Listen, if so... the Queen ever does phone me, I'll know it's because you've urged her to do so. But I have had one or two of those conversations with people who have rung me, um, either because I've been looking for them or something to do with the mm. story, and, and people mm. who are quite important ring you, and you think, well, I can't say I'll call you back because I really, really yeah. do have to take it. But then you, yeah. you just walk out of the, of the place. And the same exactly. would be true. I mean, I would certainly put my phone on silent at a wedding. The reason why they're calling these things unplugged, um, weddings is because it's become such a problem, I think. And there's a, a picture that's been doing the rounds of somebody um, having taken a picture of a married couple coming out of the, the, the church and somebody's hand and phone is in front of the bride's sort of dress covering half of it up. Oh, I, you know, I, I can actually tell you something even more shocking than that. Uh, can you? A few weeks ago, I was at a friend's house and right next to the house is the church and there was a, a wedding right. uh, taking place. I couldn't believe it when the bride got out of the car... And the minister or the priest or the, the, the whoever was obviously conducting the yeah. service, he helped the lady out, which was lovely to see, and then produced a selfie stick. No. And then, yes, I promise you, and then took pictures with his selfie stick. I was, I can't even tell you, I was so shocked. I was just looking, thinking this, this just has to... And then I thought, maybe it's family. Mm. Maybe it's a family. You must have been looking for the smelling salts at that point. Well, I, I, needed, I needed more than <laughs> smelling salts. I was reaching for whiskey and everything. Right. Um, you know, it was it was just such a strange thing to see, and apparently he does it all the time. But I see this that to me is just not the done thing. No. And as you said, if you're in somewhere, if I can give you an example, I'm, I'm a, um, at the very famous gardens in Wales today, and where they're doing some filming. I think the Antiques Roadshow, and I was inside, and when I knew I was speaking to you, I've come out, I've mm. went to a field, and I'm, I'm, it's absolutely raining, so I'm absolutely soaked. Oh God, so I'm sorry about that. No, 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 that's fine, because the point is I'm not interrupting other people where they're obviously enjoying yes. their day. So, so if I can do it, I think everyone can do it, and I'm quite happy to stand in the rain and, and have a phone call. So, yeah, yeah well, this, but this is the other thing that people do, which is really irritating, and it's not just necessarily taking a picture, but they don't put the phone on silent, so if they do take a picture, it makes a clicking sound, which isn't good. Exactly. Also, exactly. some of these maniacs who want to film everything, I mean, I've just, as a, as a, uh, a sort of exercise, and you might be shocked by this, I've, had, I've opened up my phone. Do you know how many pictures I've got on my phone? You're 
probably going to say something at 10,000. Yeah, very good. Yeah. Very good. 9,907. Yeah. Oh. Right? Oh. <laughs> 120 videos. I don't even know what they are. But, you know, people well. people film um, mm. things, but they then never mm. look at it. I mean, I, you know, if I've, if I've filmed somebody's wedding, when am I ever going to yes. look at that? Yeah, well, see, this is the thing, and and I'm, you know, I'll put my same the same boat as you there, mate, because I do a lot of of Insta stories, right. and I'm always doing little bits of filming, mm. and then later on, it was only the other night, I thought seven hundred videos. I thought, why have I got seven hundred videos? And it's all these little videos that we make, and you kind of think, what well, what is the point? But at the same token, again, if you're at a ceremony, a wedding, or something, I can understand people wanting to have a a, a snap, a, a picture, or a a little bit of video of something to do with it, but not, I mean, it gets a bit silly and you can end up, you know, getting a bit carried away with your filming or taking your pictures. And as I said, there should be official photographers there, unless a bride and groom state, which does happen, they ask a guest to take video and pictures instead of a photographer so they can make a kind of montage. I understand if somebody wants to do that, but if they haven't asked for that, just keep them out of sight. Yes, exactly right. And what about the other part of sort of wedding etiquette that people mm. always ask about, which is the gifting scenario? Because ah. some people will have a uh, you know a list that you can yes. go uh, yes. to and 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 uh, and, and utilise. But is there a kind of uh, inverted snobbery, or is there a sort of surprise uh, that people get when they see just how much money you've spent? Because if you haven't spent very much, you maybe bought them a saucer rather than <laughs> the big you know the casserole. <laughs> It's funny, I was asking my, my parents this a few years ago, and I said, you know, with their wedding, which was back in the 70s, I said, how did it work with the guests? You know, with guests? What, what, how did you kind of ask for things? And apparently, back then, new, newly married couples would be moving into a home, hopefully together, and they would have a list of all the items, kind of things that they would, they, they would need for the home. But they didn't necessarily give that list out. People just automatically assume, and you might end up with three toasters, and six kettles apparently that's what could happen right. but it was it was the fact that people were good enough to spend what was within the budget where today as you said the problem is people kind of i think they expect a bit too much sometimes and mm. and also if you go to one wedding and you give somebody something maybe of a certain value and you go to the friend's wedding and then you give them something less value then it brings into question why did they get why did they get that why did you spend more on them right. so it's a real minefield and i think that when it comes to giving gifts the most simplest thing is get something that you know that the other couple will appreciate, but don't go for budget. And, and even better, if you can make something, and I know people think, oh, I'm not going to go and do a blue pizza, but say you're a carpenter or you've, I don't know, there might be something, you're a, an artist, there might be something you can actually make that's more personal. And mm. I think that's quite quite nice, if, if you can. And if not, then just, obviously just, you know the couple, hopefully, so you're getting something that you think that they will, that they will appreciate, but don't, don't spend a fortune. No, I think that's very good advice, as ever. Grant, thank you very much indeed. Grant Howard, the Royal Butler, standing in a field, uh, getting rained upon, because that's the kind of guy he is, and he doesn't want to upset anybody by talking loudly in a place where it shouldn't be done. You could take a very uh, good large leaf out of his book, and if you are getting married this year, uh, and if you are getting married in, uh, or you're going to a wedding, don't go over the top, don't take pictures. Many people are selling, uh, telling people, don't bring your phones. I remember the days when you'd have those um, portable cameras uh, and disposable cameras that people would just put on tables and you'd take a load of pictures while you were at the reception and then they would get them all developed later on. I think that's a very good idea as well. The Human Zoo, where they don't hide away the sick animals. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. On Talk Radio. Your face. 
Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. You know what to do. 0344 499 1000. Coming up, the wine bird is going to join us, who is also another friend of our show, uh, likes to come on and talk about wine. Up in Sheffield, uh, they're now making wine uh, because they say uh, that uh, the northern part of this country uh, has become a bit more uh, like the Champagne region of France. It's getting hotter, uh, and apparently that would be down to the climate change, of course. Uh, but if that means that in Sheffield they're making some rather nice rosé, uh, then I'm all for it. And it's called Wine of England North. We'll be talking to Helena Nicklin about that and finding out just how good it actually is. Right now, though, uh, we're going to go at the phones. Let's talk to Harry, who's in Portsmouth. Hello, Harry. Oh, yes, hello, Mike. Um, I'm just thinking, you've got that claxon because there's going to be a lot of very principled... Sorry, the train's just moving by. There's a lot of uh, principled people coming and going in the next week or so. Yes, well, you say principled, I presume, with your tongue firmly in your cheek, right? Uh, yeah, it's almost going out the side, actually. <laughs> um, we've had... Uh, there you go. There's one. That's had... just a, it's, just a, it's just a test. Don't be alarmed. It's the shift around alarm, that I'm one. I'm sorry, I thought that was the train. My train's just whizzing further <laughs> up the platform. No, trains don't make that kind of noise in this country. No, uh, they don't. No. Um, you've had uh, Margot James just resign as digital minister. She should have resigned in the next week because uh, she uh, she messed up on the not knowing the euro law about the new uh, sort of porn standards coming in. She was admitting it yesterday. Right, yeah. Sorry. This is the porn bar that never happened, right? That's it. You've got it. They, they, they got a total mix-up. A woman who should know all the euro regs because she's pro-Europe yeah. was caught out. And, of course, we've got Rory Stewart. He uh, promised to resign as prisons minister. Yes, he did, if, it, if it didn't solve the problem. Prisons are now in a worse state than they were when he took over. No, he, he had some sort of confessional on the Monday, and on the Friday I'm watching Sky, where they've got five, prison, five separate prisons around Britain that are in chaos. And this man on the Monday is, is claiming it, he solved the problem, so he's fine to be international development. Yeah, great, isn't it? I mean, I don't, I don't understand how these people continue to fail and yet continue to get rewarded for failure. Well, there's one thing that's uh, going to be fine. We're going to find out that Boris is going to get rid of a few of them. I think so. they've got any principles or not. Yes, well, I think that's right. That's why some of them will be resigning. Others will be just uh, uh, being fired because they haven't resigned in time. Some of them will be moved. And there will be a different sound for each of them, Harry. Thank you very much indeed. Let's talk to Susan, uh, who's in Holland-on-Sea. Hello, Susan. Oh, hello. How are you um, doing? You were you were talking about this morning with the problems in in areas yes. around our country. Yes. I did phone up them, but uh, my phone wasn't working properly, but I'm on the line now. Yeah, that's okay. Clear. Don't worry. What's, <laughs> well, what's, what's actually, it like where you are then? Well, I live in Holland-on-Sea, which is a little way from, you know, by car, Clatton, right. Clatton-on-Sea. I work in Clatton, but anyway, we've had some very nasty things happening all within about a week and a half of one another. Uh-huh. We've had two murders. Really? Uh, yes, honestly. If you get the, if you look online, the Clacton Gazette, you can see yourself, Mike. Okay. You can see, yeah. And um, also, when I was on holiday, there was a lady that was hit over the head in the street, and she's got a fractured skull. Goodness I don't know me. what it's about. It mentioned all oh, this is in the paper. Mm. And also, a new thing that's come out um, that I read today. There's a baby that was taken to hospital, unfortunately it's died, and they've got inquiries going on, and that happened in the Clacton area. Um, I know they're all different, but we have certainly had a lot of things like that going on, uh, with the murders as well. Yeah, do you feel sort of like it's getting more dangerous, do you think? Well, I personally, I personally think it's got worse. 
okay. Um, yesterday, I, I'm not mentioning names here, but I was walking to work yesterday, and um, I there was a jet man. A man was on his mobile phone mm. uh, outside a building uh, where you get your money from and everything. Yeah, and he was. Absolutely going berserk. He was shouting and swearing on this phone, uh, and I was a bit concerned. I, you know, I, I could hear other people talking about it in the street and everything. And at the end of the call, he said, "I'm in Clacton," and then he told the person, "He said I'm not in a good frame of mind at the moment." But he was re- the language was appalling. He was really shouting out That's and awful, he told isn't the it? person to f off on the phone. I don't know if he's been reported at all, but I could hear a lot of other shoppers talking about it you know it's really you know there is a break there's a breakdown in sort of just general civility i think people are just not nice to one another well well, what i'm wondering is and i'm not an expert on this field or anything i'm wondering if some individuals obviously if some individuals have got a lot of problems like you get everywhere in life i i there's something gone wrong i I can't i really can't understand this mike but i had to call you but you if you look in the paper online clapton gazette you can just see what's happening yes and i think it's happening a lot of other places susan as well thank you so much for your call susan in holland on sea which is by the sounds of it a fairly sleepy little town uh in essex but you know unfortunately it is clearly a lot more kind of dangerous than it used to be and i think this is going on around the country and even if it's not more violent it's much more uh, rude. Uh, you might not think that's important. I happen to think it is important because where, uh, you know, rudeness begins, it sometimes ends with violence. It sometimes ends with people falling out, fighting each other. There's a lot of that going on. People are really, really aggressive now out on the streets. I mean, the number of times that just on a daily basis when you're walking around in London uh, that you can easily find yourself in some kind of conflagration with someone because they're so wound up about whatever it is that they're wound up about that they can't get off the train quick enough or they can't get on the train quick enough or they can't push past you quick enough. I mean, it really is a much more uncivil society that we're in now. And the problem with that is that it leads to things like what happened last night in Stevenage where 17 people uh, are in quite a serious condition because of these idiotic people racing cars illegally on the streets. It's ridiculous. Dangerous mid-morning debate with the great dictator. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. It's 12.34. It's Friday. It's time for this. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Perrier Awards. Now, I'm delighted to say that because of a certain absence uh, today... Uh, we have a Perrier Awards with a twist, and instead of Con Mendes sitting in the chair, uh, we have uh, the delightful Martha Malagon. Martha, a very good afternoon to you. Good afternoon, And Mike. welcome to the Perrier Awards. Welcome to the Perrier Awards, Which you haven't yeah. presented before, but I'm looking forward very much to you presenting them, because I'm sure you'll present them better than Con does. Well, Almost I'll, certainly. I'll try my best. OK, so um, as tradition uh, starts, you should really kick it all off and tell us precisely what's going on. OK, so... Right. Welcome to the Perry Awards. This is where we go back over the past week of the so-called Independent Republic of Mike Graham and choose our favourite moments. And for the first time, as you said, hosted by me, Talk Radio's self-appointed Spanish affairs editor (laughs) and cons other half behind the glass. Yes, of course. But only behind the glass. Only behind the glass. Let's make that clear. Yes, of course. Uh, Let's begin. As it's tradition, Mike, you win the first Perry. Thank you. Here on the Independent Republic, as you all know, we cover a wide range of subjects. On Wednesday, Helen Natman of The Sun popped in to tell us why we're getting fewer hobnobs for the same prize. Mm. And congratulations, you win Presumption of the Week. 
Presumably the hobnob manufacturers have not yet come out with a statement or told us why they've done it. Well, they have, actually. Ah. <laughs> I got that one wrong. You did. It is a bad presumption to make, actually, isn't it? It is a bad presumption to make, but, um, yeah, I mean, sometimes you get things right, sometimes you don't. You I can't, can't get everything get right. right. No. I can't get everything right all but, the time. But that's why we love you. No, thank you. Because you're only human, you know. I am. Um, just. <laughs> just about. Friend of the show and occasional talk radio presenter Andrew Walker joined us to tell us what a huge fan of Kate Winslet he is. Mm. And he provided the random fact of the week. I come from a long line of committed breastfeeders. Apparently this is now a thing. <laughs> well, I mean, 65% of the world are lactose intolerant. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> that did seem a bit random to me when he said that. I thought... What? 65% of the world. I think that's a bit too much. That can't be true. To be honest, I, I should have fact-checked this yes. before I went there. I don't there. think he's right about that. I'll do that when, I, right. when I get out. But we'll yeah. get him when, when he comes back on, we'll ask him another time. Maybe we should, yeah. yeah. We should challenge him on it. I think we should. What are your sources? Have you checked? Have Lactose you asked everyone? intolerance, I'm sure, it does not extend to 65% of the world. No, that'd be too much, wouldn't it? Yeah. Anyway. Um, speaking of uh, random things, mm. uh, you could have introduced this Kate Winslet story uh, topic in many different ways. However, you chose to uh, give us a to give us a bizarre piece of information, and thanks to that, listener Jason Barry wins best claim to fame. God, that's bad, isn't it? One of the worst songs of all time. One of the worst films of all time, but actually very popular, very very successful, and whenever it comes on. You just watch it, don't you? Titanic, right? Here's a bit of bizarre information for you. There's a guy by the name of Jason Barry uh, who listens to this show, listens to me, listens to this station and has listened to me for many, many years. He's the guy, uh, when they're standing waiting to try and evacuate the ship, <laughs> says, there are women and children down here. Um, and he's in Titanic. <laughs> he actually texted me, right, the, the, the very yeah. same day, saying, I laughed out loud in the car when I heard my name on your show after you destroyed my heart will go on. <laughs> So he heard it as well, which was good. That was good. And also, I've got to say, it's a great song. I don't know why you hate it so much. Well, it's just that I've heard it so much, I think. You know, my daughter, who you know, loves yes. Titanic. It's still her favourite film from the age of <laughs> seven, it? yeah. And whenever it's on, she has to watch it. And so I think it's partly because I've been ruined by her mm -hmm. continued and absolute slavish devotion to it. And I'm, I'm, I'm sort of over it. Well, we'll make sure uh, we don't play that song <laughs> every other week now. Thank you very we'll, much. We'll, we'll try our best. Now, let's go back to the conversation you had with Helen Knappman because uh, it moved on. Yes. And you ended up discussing toilet paper. And thanks to I that, that, you won Backtrack of the Week. I mean, Maybe. you've got to be a pretty sad individual to count the number of sheets at a toilet roll, yeah. you? <laughs> Although I actually did have to do that for a separate story a few weeks yeah, ago. Yeah, for work it's acceptable. <laughs> but I think if you're doing it just because you want to make sure you're getting value for money, perhaps not. That's fair enough. If she has to do it for work. Yes. Doesn't make her a sad individual. But I think the lesson to learn here is maybe not to judge people who That's very true. toilet paper. I never rolls. thought I'd fall prey to that particular <laughs> problem, to be honest, know. you know? I mean, who knew? Two things that I assumed in that one interview that I got completely wrong. wrong. She was too much of an expert. I don't think we want her back, do we? Mm, no, we do. No, we do. We do, she because, we you like know... We, we do like Helen. To, this week has been really good for mm. you, actually. We've got another Perry Award Excellent. for you. I'm winning a lot this week. I like this. This is already better than Con Mendes' Perry Awards. I'm winning more. Thank you very much. Uh, we've been talking a lot about the BBC licence fee. Yes. And whether it should be scrapped or not. And as always, you've got a very strong opinion about it. Mm. In fact, so strong that you gave us the ruthless moment of the week. I don't want to pay uh, for some podcast to be produced for people in India. I don't want to pay for an entire 
operation being run uh, on the online business of the BBC. I don't even want to pay for local radio stations either, by the way. Let them run on their own. Let them make their own money. Let them be self-sustaining. And if they can't be, then let them die. <laughs> Let them die. This is why they don't put me in charge of anything anymore. No, I don't. I don't think, and 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 this is why maybe you you won't work at the BBC anytime soon because you'll be like. Ah. No, I don't think they're looking for uh, for people like me at the BBC. To be honest. Well, speaking of someone who I think has worked for the BBC, I might be wrong now. Uh, former newspaper editor and regular commentator Paul Connie yes. joined us to talk about climate change. But what we never thought would happen is that he would end up winning the Perry Award for Hash Comment of the Week. Well, I mean, when you've got somebody like Theresa May committing us to uh, to be zero carbon emissions by 2050 and causing a three billion pound black hole in our economy, I think that worries me far more, to be honest. Well, you know, but, it's, but, but you're not going to be around when climate work, well, you might be. <laughs> well, that's when a bit when harsh. change really, really. Yes, well, okay. I, yeah, I, I, sorry, kind. Re- you just killed, killed me off. You killed me off, typical lefty. But you, might, but you might be in a care home by then. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he really was quite ruthless. You thought my ruthless moment was bad. That was that was that was harsh. But He's hey, older than me as you, well. You might be in a care home. Yeah. You might not be dead. You might be in a care home. That's something to look forward to. It is, but um, don't worry. Because, I'll be ringing um, the show. Don't worry. Oh, please do, please do. We'll be here, hopefully. Hopefully. I don't know. Uh, but I was, as I was saying, uh, do not worry because if there's something we know. Mm about you is that you can take a harsh comment you can take criticism True. and in fact you are your best cheerleader congratulations you win narcissist of the week oh great uh, they're talking about the world's most admired men and the world most world's most admired women quite a surprising list for me actually um but maybe there's a few people on there who you think shouldn't be uh, and also perhaps there are people that should have been on there that weren't like me for example <laughs> There is a certain tongue-in-cheek narcissism, of course, which is what I practice. Well, yeah. I don't really want people to think that I really think that I should be on the world's most admired list, but I just think they would get upset at the fact that I think I should be on it. I think, because um, I've got lots of spare time at the moment. Have you? Um, yes, I do. <laughs> That's what happens gonna... when you produce the show. Exactly. Oh, <laughs> hush. Uh, so when I, I'm going to start a campaign, and okay. next year we're going to get all ourselves to nominate you. Well, listen, if Vladimir and... Putin can make the most admired list, it's surely just a matter of numbers. It's just about arithmetic, Yeah, exactly, isn't it? yeah. It's about, yeah. It's, just get it's a load of the... Russian bots to vote for me. Yeah, or, or maybe, yeah, we'll get people in the office to do it. Yes, We'll, so, we'll several get, times. Yeah, well, you've got contacts in America as yes. well. We'll get people from all over the world to do it. Yeah. We'll get you on that list. Good idea. Thank we'll you. It'll be really good PR it. for Talk Radio. Mm. Caller Gary in Spitalfield. He rang in to speak about extent. Extinct, ex- <laughs> <laughs> there, you've done it. It's yes. the Con Mendes curse. <laughs> <laughs> the curse of the Perry Rewards. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start again. Shall okay, I? go on. Caller Gary in Spitalfield rang in to speak about Extinction Rebellion. Well done. Yes. He's a busy man, though. And this week he claims the perrier for best time management. I believe that more than I believe all, you know, obviously all the government rubbish. But anyway, I've got, I'm going to go, Mike. All right, Gary, appreciate your call. Thank you very much indeed. <laughs> Gary's a bit busy. Um, yeah, well, it's fine, though. He managed to squeeze in a quick call to us, he said. Yeah, very nice I love of you. Thank you. I love it when they do that. <laughs> I, I've got to go. It's I'm a bit busy. Well, I wasn't going to ask you anything else anyway. You rang me. Doesn't you know. matter. Doesn't no, it was matter. very good. Anyway, another one for you, Mike. Yes. Uh, this week has been one of many, many changes. And sometimes, bless you, you can't keep up with all of them. Here's a wrong namer of the week. 0344 499 1000 is the number. Let's get some news headlines with Rachel Jewell. Talk Radio, half hour headlines. Good morning. <laughs> 
Let me explain. Yeah, voice has gone a bit deeper, isn't it? Yeah, a little bit, yeah. Because, uh, in fact, that was not Rachel Jewell. That was actually James Lua. Yeah. The latest addition to the Independent Republic's port of And that was his readers. first day, so naturally I forgot his name. It was his first day. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, he's one of us now. And uh, to welcome him to the show, James, you win mispronunciation of the week. Mr Musk claims the device called Neurolink would attempt telepath telepathy... <laughs> That's great. <laughs> Telepathy. Listen, it happens to the best Sounds of like us. something you get in a Greek restaurant, doesn't it? Telepathy. telepathy. <laughs> yeah. Do you want some telepathy with that? <laughs> we'll check that one yes. out as well. Now, you'll remember uh, political editor Ross Kemsel from yes. when we had some fun uh, with the resignation claxons earlier this morning. Yes, indeed. There's the one. Ross has become a regular in the Perry Awards for many different reasons. But this one, Mike... It's just nuts. Uh, bringing up a recent report uh, into the Labour Party. So this is a real uh, testy, testy stuff from right. Theresa May. Testy? Whatever that means. Yeah, testy, yeah. He did a good one today as well, actually, but Which it was one? probably too late to, uh, to, to include. It, I can't remember, it was something and something, but it sounded a bit strange. We'll I have to know. go back over it. Ross is, is, is one of those people that sometimes he says really strange things on the radio. Yes. And we just go with it because he's got editor in his title and just we assume that he knows. Well, of he course, knows. he does. Yeah. Well, he's a very smart man. He's a very clever mm. man. And that's we've got a true. big week coming up. He says he's not going to sleep all weekend. So <laughs> that's going to be tif difficult for him on Monday, I would imagine. Yeah. Oh, well, we'll see. Finally, last pair of this week. Um, as you all know, Alistair Stewart has been sitting in for Julia Hartley Brewer yes. for most of the week while she went on a much-deserved holiday uh, somewhere in the EU. Breakfast is a fast-paced show, and sometimes things go a little bit wrong when this happened. Alistair gave us the Apology of the Week. Talk Radio Breakfast with Alistair Stewart. In for Julia Hartley Brewer. With The Times. Be well informed. Welcome back. It is 7.48 now. And yes, I know it is the 16th of July. I apologise <laughs> profusely. One of my notes from my briefing overnight had the 17th written <laughs> upon it, and I apologise <laughs> profusely. It is Tuesday, the 16th of July. Dear me, imagine reading the wrong date. Always blame the producers, I would yeah. say. The Perrier Awards on Talk Radio. Across the UK, online and on DAB. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. I don't care if Monday's blue, Tuesday's grey and Wednesday too. Thursday, I don't care about you, it's Friday, I'm in love. Matthew Wright coming up at one o'clock. Of course, the rain is falling in London, unfortunately, because, of course, it's the start of the summer holidays. Extinction Rebellion is still wandering about on various bridges around London. How about this for a tweet from them? The rain is a sign of things to come. The climate emergency is upon us. Uh, no, the rain is actually a sign that it's raining. That's what we do when we have a climate which actually has rain and clouds and sun and wind uh, and sometimes snow as well. What do you call that? A sign of things to come as well. I'll tell you what's going on in the north of England, uh, particularly up near Sheffield, is they're growing wine because they're saying that the, the climate now in Sheffield is a little bit more like the climate in Champagne in France. So we have to talk to the one person who's an expert in all of this stuff. It is, of course, Helena Nicklin, the wine bird, uh, star of the three drinkers, columnist, wine connoisseur, friend of the show. Helena, very good afternoon to you. Hi, Mike. How are you? I'm very well indeed. Very well indeed. Who needs Chablis when there's Chateau Sheffield, is what it says in the Daily Mail. Um, is, it any, is it any good? I've, I mean, I've had some lovely wines from Kent. I've had some lovely sparkling wines from uh, the West Country. I haven't had anything from Sheffield before. 
Well, you know, the, the headline is kind of half right. Um, well. English wine is 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 doing really, really well. And there have been vineyards in uh, in the north of England for absolutely ages. Really? Around Sheffield, yeah. North Yorkshire, Rydale, Leventhorpe, really good. So, and climate change is definitely helping the English wine industry massively. Well, I mean, there's got to be a couple of pluses, haven't there? I mean, uh, it doesn't look very nice out there at the moment and the, exchange, <laughs> the, the, the Extinction Rebellion people are all getting soaked. But, um, I mean, he, this, uh, one of the guys that we're talking about here, uh, Kieran Atkinson, has said that they, they produce something like 10,000 bottles a year from quite a small vineyard in northern Derbyshire. I mean, are they marketing it properly, if I haven't heard of it? Because I do buy quite a lot of wine. Well, do you know what? I, I don't know them either, and I'm a wine writer, so yeah. I obviously need to get in touch with Kieran and, and try the wines. Um, I'm heading back. I'm going to head up to Yorkshire fairly soon to do some tasting so I can get a real handle on this. But, um, but he, 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 is, he is right, and they, they are right to be planting more vineyards up there. The, the climate change, it's more apparent at the moment down south. Yeah. Because, you know, it's that slight... That slight increase in temperature coupled with that chalk that is in the same vein as the Cote de Blanc in Champagne has made sparkling wine down there suddenly really, really good. Well, yes, and I'm, I'm hearing as well, and you can confirm, I'm sure, that an awful lot of French vineyards are now buying land in England, or in the southeast of England anyway, to, 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 to market their own Champagne. Absolutely. Tatton just been down there. I helped plant some vines a couple of years ago. They're increased. They've just bought a whole load more land to build more. Pomeries down there too. And um, there, there are a couple of others as well, like looking to buy. Yeah. And it's quite expensive, isn't it, uh, English sparkling wine? But it's pretty good, I would say. It's, it's definitely improved from what it used to be. Oh my gosh! Yeah, it, it has. Just, I think that the jumping quality of the last ten years has been incredible, and so people have realised that this is a place to start planting. The problem is, it's, it's really expensive to make, and it takes ages. You can't sell. It takes three years before the vine is even ready to harvest, and then you've got to age sparkling wine for at least eighteen months, and usually more. You know, it's a really expensive process, which is why it has to be so so right. It says here the British wine industry produced 15.6 million bottles last year. I mean, that's verging upon a pretty big business, isn't it? It broke all records, yeah. It's really exciting. I mean, this is the place to watch for sparkling wine, the UK, for sure. Down south particularly, but not it, it, the, the, the north will be, will be following the footsteps eventually. Yeah. It, it, might, it, might, it might just take a tiny bit longer. But, they, but there's still wine up there. Is getting better and better. And are they are they uh, sort of selling most of it here? Are they exporting it? Where's it all going? A lot of it is sold in the country because they don't make huge amounts. Although some of the the larger producers down south have started exporting. You can see some of these in the states now and and elsewhere. And we'll be seeing a lot more, um, uh, you know, all around the world, like right. really soon as you know as production increases. It's and how do the French how do the time. French take to being offered English wine? I can't imagine they like it very much. They're not very happy, no, no. <laughs> I, I have been in the presence of many a French person who's like, what is this? But, but the savvy ones listen and the, and, you know, and the really savvy ones invest. Right. Because, of course, with the big dreaded B word, which we haven't had really you and I talked about, um, I mean, <laughs> if it was to come to a no-deal Brexit, we could just drink English wine, right, if we had to? Well, I mean, that is one plus, I guess. Uh, it can't really hurt the industry. As, as far as that's concerned, but there are so many wines to drink. You want to drink them from everywhere, too. I do, yeah, absolutely. I do, do not wish to be limited. I'm in no way suggesting that. We'll have to get you in with something uh, akin to whether it's English or French or Chilean or, or whatever it is you're up to. Where have you been recently that we were impressed with? Oh, uh, let's see. Recently, recently. I've been working on the next series of The Three Drinkers, so we've been working on that mostly. But uh, This I mean, is your Italy TV is show on Amazon, right? 
Yeah, yes, that's right. We're actually going back up to Scotland in September to film two more episodes. Are you still so, doing whiskey or are you doing other things? Well, well that, that's for whiskey, but we are, we're planning a very big series for next year. Oh, good. Two, okay. Which I will tell you about as soon as I'm allowed to. Yes, well, certainly. <laughs> we don't want you giving anything away. Well, listen, Helen, we'll see you soon. Um, as soon as the sure. weather improves, we'll get you in and we'll have some nice wine tasting on the terrace, perhaps, here uh, at Talk Radio. Helen and Nicola in the Wine Bird and star of The Three Drinkers, which is a great show, actually, uh, all about three people driving around Scotland tasting whiskey. How bad could your life be? Uh, meanwhile, if you're going to go on holiday, enjoy yourselves. Uh, don't forget you can still listen to Talk Radio no matter where you are, as long as you've got a phone, as long as you've got the app, as long as you've got some kind of Wi-Fi signal, uh, you can listen. I'll be back at 1 o'clock. It's going to be a massive week next week, don't forget. A blockbuster week, according to Ross Kempsel. Uh, we're going to have people resigning, people getting fired, people changing jobs, new political leaders. It's going to be amazing, and it's all coming up uh, next week. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the Independent Republic of Mike Gray on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio, via DAB, online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.